Chapter 19 of Pollyanna's Jewels This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Michelle Fernandez. Pollyanna's Jewels by Harriet Loomis Smith. Philip. As is often the case with healthy children after a serious illness, the rapidity of Junior's convalescence smacked of the miraculous. All the stored-up energy of his wiry little body, all the years of careful supervision and sensible training counted in his recovery. He became hungry, cross, restless, impatient to be up and about, fretful, imperious, and, to Pollyanna's thinking, increasingly adorable. Relieved from the tension of anxiety, Pollyanna suggested a plant bursting into bloom in the spring. A stranger, passing her on the street, must have turned to look at her illumined face. As if she had been away and out of touch with the neighbourhood, she now learned of various happenings no one had attempted to report during Junior's illness. Although Inez Richards had not seemed alarmingly sick at any time, she was not making good recovery. There seemed some lingering infection that puzzled the doctors. It was rather lucky Jimmy told Pollyanna, that the gift shop busted when it did. That night you took Inez home, Mrs. Richards didn't get back from the city till midnight, and they'd decided to close up. Richards thinks their bookkeeping was so wretched that probably the purchases of many of their charged customers were never recorded. It's more than likely that the things Aunt Ruth got the bill for had been bought by somebody else they'd lost track of. They'd done quite a flourishing business, but Richard says if it had been any better, it would have ruined him. As it was, he had to go down into his pockets to the tune of several hundred dollars. But the most startling piece of news reached her one morning after Junior was able to be dressed and had practically returned to his normal activities. As Pollyanna went down to the kitchen to consult Nancy about the day's meals, again a matter of importance, Nancy was half-hearted in her interest. In the first pause, she said impressively, I wonder what's going to become of that poor little boy. I suppose the Lord has his reasons for the way things happen, but sometimes it's hard to see what he's at. What little boy do you mean, Nancy? Why, the black-eyed one that brought Jigs home the day of the party. He never was treated none too good, no how, and now... It looks as if the Lord himself had taken sides against the poor child. 
You mean Philip Lloyd? exclaimed Pollyanna. What's wrong with him? Then all at once she knew that Jimmy had mentioned some catastrophe connected with the Lloyds the night Junior was taken sick. Absorbed in her own anxieties, she had not seemed to hear it. She had never given a thought to the matter again, yet now her memory dangled before her a tantalizing half-recollection. Didn't somebody die in that house? she exclaimed. Yes, Miss Pollyanna, he died first. And today, there's crap on the door for her and the poor little soul's left without anybody that belongs to him. After you've got your growth, you ought to be able to stand up against trouble. But it don't seem fair to heap them up on a child. It don't, it don't. Pollyanna sprang to her feet. Keep an eye on the children, Nancy, she said. I'm going out. In five minutes, she was hurrying down the street, while Nancy stood in the window looking proudly after her. Being sorry for other folks' troubles don't go deep with most of us. If it kind of takes the edge off our appetites, that's more than it's safe to count on. But with Miss Pollyanna, it means getting up and doing something. And she don't let no grass grow under her feet, neither. The neatly dressed maid, who admitted Pollyanna into the house on the corner, welcomed her with almost hysterical relief. You're Mrs. Pendleton, aren't you? She began as she led the way into the reception room, opening off the hall. I've seen you go by the house lots of times. I'm sure glad to have somebody to talk things over with, for I'm just about at my wit's end. Are you all alone here with Philip? Pollyanna asked, and her quiet voice had a noticeably steadying effect upon the other woman. She had begun to cry, but she controlled herself and only sniffed occasionally as she stood twisting her apron. Yes, ma'am, I'm alone here, and so everything comes on me. I could kick myself for being here at all. I knew from the start that it wasn't no place for a girl what had been raised respectable. They was at one another from early to late. I don't mean that he ever raised his hand against her, for Mr. Lloyd was a real gentleman as far as that goes. But there wasn't a day that they weren't fussing and scolding and finding fault. And she'd get to crying and he'd go out and slam the door. Pollyanna listened sadly. All for love, and the world were lost. These two had once thought. They had flung away honour, self-respect, and the love of their children. And their folly had brought them to the ceaseless bickering and loathing of each other, like two prisoners chained together in a dungeon chained till death released them. I knew twant the place for anybody brought up the way I'd been, the girl reiterated. I gave her warning three times, I did, 
And then she'd cry and take on and give me a blouse and a string of beads. And what was I to do? And besides, I didn't know how bad things were till after Mr. Lloyd died. She lowered her voice impressively, Pollyanna listening with grave attention. Mrs. Pendleton, it seems that they weren't never married. His wife didn't get a divorce and he couldn't. And there wasn't no will and so this house and everything in it goes to the real wife and her children. She'd ought to have known just how twould be, but looks as if she wasn't a mite prepared. After Mr. Lloyd's partner came out and had a talk with her, she never held up her head again. Where is Philip? He's round the house somewhere. Now, that's another thing, Mrs. Pendleton. I can't just walk out of the house after the funeral tomorrow and leave that child alone. And yet, he ain't no more my business than anybody's else. I haven't had my wages paid me for two weeks. Pollyanna stood up. Suppose you pack Philip's clothing, she said, so it will be ready if I send for it later. I'm going to take him with me now. I'm glad of that, sniffed the girl. I'm sure sorry for that poor kid. He ain't a bad child at all. Philip ain't. But he's kind of queer from playing alone so much and sort of scared acting. I don't think Mr. Lloyd could stand the sight of him. She just worshipped him. But that didn't keep her from being pretty mean to him the days she was in one of her tempers. She raised her voice as she called, Philip! Philip! After the summons had been several times repeated without result, they instituted a search. Philip lay face downward on a couch in the adjoining room, his small hands clenched, his body rigid. Pollyanna bent over him. This is Junior Pendleton's mother, Philip. I want you to get up now and come with me. She thought at first he was going to disregard the suggestion, but suddenly a little tremor ran over him. He rolled off the couch, got slowly to his feet and faced her without raising his eyes. She was shocked to see how terror could change the face of a child. The girl brought in his coat and overshoes and helped him into them, Philip submitting passively. Then Pollyanna took his small, cold hand in hers and led him out of the house that had scandalized Elsinore Terrace for so long. He trudged beside her without speaking or looking up, and she realized with stabbing pity his sense of helplessness. Whoever held out a hand and said, Come, he had no choice but to obey. She had started for her own home as a matter of course, but as she reached the corner, she was moved by one of those impulses whose authority no true woman ever questions. Instead of going on to her own door, she turned down the cross street. She felt Philip lag, pull a little on her hand, and then follow on draggingly. 
and so, holding him fast, she led him to Mrs. Miggill's door. Mrs. Miggill, moving about the house with the quick, assured step of competence, caught sight of her and her companion and flung the door wide before Pollyanna had a chance to ring. Her smile of welcome died on her lips as she looked down at the child-stricken face. Philip, said Pollyanna, pointing into the next room, go in and sit down. I want to talk with Mrs. Miggill. Stumblingly, Philip obeyed. He climbed into the chair in the corner and sat there awkwardly, his legs sticking out straight before him, his arms dangling limply, the whole rather suggesting a jointed doll, except for the tragic face above the stiff little body. Pollyanna dropped her voice so the child could not hear. You know, his father died three weeks ago. His mother died yesterday. He's all alone and no one to take any responsibility. The maid just told me that the parents had never been married and whatever property there is will go to Mr. Lloyd's legal wife. He, the partner, may have some plan for the child, but if he has, he hasn't mentioned it. Mrs. Miggill's eyes were fixed on the forlorn little figure in the next room, but she said nothing. I suppose it's going to be rather hard to find him a home, Pollyanna continued confidentially. People will be afraid of his heritage, though there's so much bad mixed in with the good in everybody's heritage that I think it's foolish to lay so much stress on that. Of course, it's true that his environment hasn't been all one might wish. The maid says his father and mother quarrelled dreadfully, but if people can't control their passions, they're not likely to control their tempers either, so that's not surprising. And after all, he's very young. Still, Mrs. Miggle did not speak, and in spite of her intuition, Pollyanna began to look a little anxious. I was starting to take him home with me, and then I didn't feel sure that was best. Junior is still very cross and irritable, and I wasn't certain he'd be just the host for a child who has been through what Philip has. My dear, cried Mrs. Miggle, waking up suddenly, of course you shouldn't have taken him home, full as your hands are, and after those dreadful weeks. You did exactly right to bring him here. The funeral's at ten o'clock tomorrow, whispered Pollyanna. I thought I'd take him... I'll go with you, Mrs. Miggle said firmly. And with a sigh, she added, Poor woman. We'll probably see the partner there, and he'll know, if anyone does, what to do with Philip. I told the maid to get all his clothes together. And now I must run. I'll come for you tomorrow a little before ten. Yes, said Mrs. Miggle. We'll be ready. She turned and went into Philip, 
and Pollyanna stood with her hands on the knob, watching. The small boy did not seem aware of Mrs. Miggle's approach. Stand up, Philip, and let me take off your overcoat, Mrs. Miggle said kindly. It's too warm in the house for an overcoat, isn't it? Philip did not answer, but he slid off the chair and stood like a tailor's mannequin as she removed his coat. You've come just in time to help me out, continued Mrs. Miggle briskly. I haven't fed my goldfish today and I'm going to let you do it for me. Goldfish are the greediest things. You drop a crumb into the water and they'll all rush for it. You laugh when you see them. Philip lifted his face and Mrs. Miggle looked down into his eyes. Then suddenly the boy began sobbing, hard, racking sobs that shook him cruelly without the relief of tears. With an exclamation, Mrs. Miggle dropped the overcoat to the floor and took the child in her arms. She sat down on the chair Philip had just vacated and cuddled him as if he had been a baby. Philip buried his face in her neck and continued to sob while she crooned over him comfortingly. Poor little boy, dear little boy, there, there, everything will be all right. Pollyanna stole out of the house softly and went home very well satisfied with herself. End of chapter 19